Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today we're going to talk about Karl Rove versus Donald Trump on the GOP worldview, the Russia hoax, the truth about when it started, who was hurt, and what to, how to fix it, unplanned, the movie, and as always, why it matters to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. You may have seen over the weekend, or maybe it was the end of last week, Carl Rove, the you know, esteemed Republican consultant put a piece in the Wall Street Journal entitled Move On from Robert Mueller, comma, Mr. President. Carl Rove has been the political consultant guru of many Republican candidates for decades. He's actually a Texan and he has come out strong. It's the most amazing thing. It's kind of as a strident moderate, but come out strong, essentially telling President Trump that he needs to move on from the Mueller report. His basic argument is that People who are rooted and and grounded and the Democrat side will forever think somehow Trump colluded with the Russians and those voters are going to stick with the Democrats no matter what. And voters committed to President Trump and the GOP side are going to, they know what happened. They realize the entire investigation was a hoax. And so they will be with the president basically Rove's point is all of the alleged wide swath of voters in the middle, the moderates, the centrists, whatever you want to call them, the undecideds, um, those people are not going to care to hear any more about the Mueller report, uh, Mueller investigation. They're not going, they don't want to hear it. They're tired of it. It's time to move on and let it go because continued discussion will not sway that middle swath of voters. Carl Rove is a perfect example of why Republican voters stay home in national elections too long. Karl Rove is leading the charge of the relentless, endless surrender squad of the Republican Party. What happened in this country since the time that the mob inside of the DOJ and the Department of Justice and the FBI began breaking law began making accusations about a Trump-Russia collusion using the forces available inside the, the powers of that be inside the federal government to spy on political enemies. From the moment that started, that was the beginning of a coup. It was the beginning of an effort by people inside the Department of Justice and the FBI to take away the most precious freedom we have in this country, the freedom we have to choose our elected leaders. The determination of those people, the mindset of those people was they are the ruling elite. They tell us they know better than the American people who should be present. And so the entire Russia collusion hoax cooked up inside the FBI, Department of Justice, along with many players outside of those agencies, including John Brennan, all of that was all wrapped together a coup attempt. I would agree that with Karl Rowe that there are probably a lot of voters in this country 
who are tired of the latest Mueller, you know, revelation, the latest leak, the latest story, the latest accusation. But I don't think nearly enough voters, especially those disinterested enough to be centrist and moderates, have yet had the opportunity to have it sink in to their thought, to have it gel and take form and shape in their thought to recognize what the Democrats tried to do, what this coup tried to do. This was an effort to... It was a a grotesque misuse of the power of the uh, FISA court, uh, the power of spying on American citizens, misuse of access to the NSA database, all for the purpose, all determined to, to dictate the outcome of the 2016 presidential election to attack people uh, who the political opponents of the president and the wrongdoing, the nefarious and potentially criminal wrongdoing on the American left very likely goes all the way to the top, all the way to Hillary Clinton and ultimately President Obama. We don't know that yet, and we won't know until there's an investigation, but there needs to be an investigation for the simple purpose of everyone in this country understanding just what this was, which was a coup attempt. So you probably saw that President Trump gave a speech last week, a rousing speech uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm going to play, uh, we have uh, kind of two sets of clips, and I'm going to play first uh, if we have my incredibly wonderful producer, Matt. We, there we have him. You know, massive crowds in Grand Rapids. The speech, by the way, was full of kind of Trumpisms of this was the greatest victory ever. I'm the greatest. I mean, you know, the Trump stuff. But I want to play just segments of what he had to say and then talk about it. So go ahead, President Trump. This has been an incredible couple of weeks for America. And after three years of lies and smears and slander, the Russia hoax is finally dead. The collusion delusion is over. The special counsel completed its report and found no collusion and no obstruction. The crazy attempt by the Democrat Party and the fake news media right back there. the deep state to overturn the results of the 2016 election have failed. This was nothing more than a sinister effort to undermine our historic election victory and to sabotage the will of the American people. The Russia witch hunt was a plan by those who lost the election to try and illegally regain power by framing innocent Americans, many of them, they suffered with an elaborate hoax. They tried to divide our country, to poison the national debate, and to tear up the fabric of our great democracy, the greatest anywhere in the world. Many, many people were badly hurt by this scam. But more importantly, our country was hurt. Our country was hurt. Okay, folks, this is the kind of speech that Karl Rove did not want President Trump to give. 
but I can't tell you how healthy I think it is for America. I'm Debbie Georgias. This is America Can We Talk. After this first five, I want to turn and dive in a little more deeply today into what exactly Trump is talking about and what has to happen. Again, what really happened? When did it start? Who's responsible? How do we fix it? Be right with me, right back. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I gotta tell you folks, I think this is just a fabulous time for the president, for President Trump, to really try to bring home to the American people what happened during the 20, it wasn't even just the 2016 election cycle. This was, he was elected in 2016, the Trump-Russia collusion thing though, when you really start to dive in to go back to the beginning, go back to the beginning of what happened, it was beginning in the year 2015. 2015 is when, under President Obama, there was grotesque and repeated misuse of the NSA database, querying, which is making an inquiry, querying the NSA database to gather data, to gather names, and to begin and to get information. So they're spying on people through the NSA database. They use information from that and, and then went forward with just all sorts of nefarious wrongdoing, spying on their enemies. The NSA database, to be clear, is there for, uh, it is not for the use that to which the Obama administration uh, put it. It was not, that's not the purpose. It is actually to uncover when there are foreign agents acting wrongly in this country or there are people who are um, engaged in attacks on the country. It's not supposed to be used by the sitting president and his administration to dig in and see if they can poke around like on a fishing expedition, see if they can find something they can maybe use against somebody someday. But that's how the NSA database was being used. This was the very beginning of the, it is two things at least, it was the very beginning of this effort to use our national security agency's uh, abilities and data to undermine an opposition candidate. And it also though is a real window, it is one of the windows that we have to open wide, one of the windows on the mindset of the American left throughout this entire process. There was no one, apparently, inside the NSA or anywhere else in the federal government aware of this, questioning what was happening, questioning the extensive overuse of the NSA database, questioning whether or not this was really the, the appropriate use of that. So this is starting back in 2015. That was the beginning of this effort. And then we rolled into it, and we've been over the story so many times on this show. But it really matters for what we're talking about today, what Trump said last week and what Karl Rove had to say in his Wall Street Journal um, editorial. Because Rove is saying, move on, you can't win any middle, you know, he thinks he's being a strategist. You can't win these, this wide swath of middle, uh, middle of the road voters, these, you know, the perpetually undecided or, or swing voters. So you gotta persuade them on policy. And Trump is, at least as of now, saying, no, we need to get to the bottom of this. In fact, one of Trump's tweets uh, over the weekend that you know it probably is making a lot of people nervous, he tweeted, everybody's asking how the phony and fraudulent investigation of the no collusion, no obstruction Trump campaign began. We need to know for future generations to understand this hoax this is a Trump tweet. This hoax should never be allowed to happen to another president or administration again. 
And again, my central point to start with on this is there are millions of Americans. In fact, you see them commenting online and after articles on Facebook saying, oh, come on. Okay, okay, no collusion. Can we move on? Let's just get past this. And they're sick of it. If they knew how profoundly consequential, how profoundly wrong, and how profoundly disturbing the conduct was inside the FBI and the DOJ, and frankly, within the Obama administration, perpetrating and perpetuating this effort to undermine political enemies, and they let that sink in, what they would begin to see was this is way more than just a run-of-the-mill political battle. This was a truly, you know, nothing like it in American history, record-setting in a bad way, political scandal. It was the scandal of the century, probably the scandal of, of certainly within Washington, scandal of a presidency. This makes Watergate look like the moral equivalent of chewing gum in class. I mean, that's, Watergate was nothing compared to what happened here. So for Karl Rove to weigh in and say, and he's, you know, he's influential. People say, well, you know, Karl Rove, he's a really great advisor. He's way tuned in to voters and their views. And he knows how that, you know, this undecided or these swing voters think, and maybe we should listen to him. It's not just that President Trump will win the discussion if he keeps it up. But it's, it's even bigger than that. It's so important for, for Americans to start to understand how corrupted these federal agencies were and are. And I say are because you are not hearing very many people, you are not hearing very many people step up and question what is happening. What did happen, especially on the American left? You do not hear Democrats saying, you know, actually, that was pretty bad that the uh, FBI used the Russian dossier to go get FISA court warrants. You don't hear Democrats, any leaders of the Democrat Party or the, you know, the kind of the, the uh, senior thought leaders of the Democrat Party, the, the revered figures, none of them are speaking up. None of them are saying, Wow, this got way out of control. None of them are acknowledging that for the last, you know, coming up on a year and a half that President Trump has had to deal with this, this unbelievable, no, what am I saying, over two years, Trump has had to deal with this, this hoax accusation against him. None of them are pointing out, you know, the Democrats really have attempted to perpetuate a lie. They have, they have perpetu they have run on and given campaign rally speeches and, and used their opportunities in the media to continue to foment hatred and distrust of the president, all based on a lie. It is only the left who is saying the Rove message, or everyone on the left is saying the Rove message, okay, I guess Mueller is wrong, let's move on. Not all of them, by the way. Adam Schiff is still talking about, he thinks he's gonna investigate some more, but this is a, you know, the idea, and, and why I'm so concerned about this is because I think there will be people on our side, even, even during this whole time that Trump has been having to put up with the a hoax investigation, a, a hoax allegation against him, an investigation where he did nothing wrong, where you, we just had a, a rogue uh, and I think of him, Mueller, as a truly rogue prosecutor, just digging and digging and digging and digging, trying to find something. Trump has been pretty much alone standing up for himself. 
a few allies in the, in the U.S. House, a few allies in, in the Senate, but very few. Mostly what you have were people on our side kind of standing back, except for brave people like Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows and uh, Devin Nunes, a small cadre of Republicans standing up in the middle of this coup and saying, this is wrong. We have to stand up. We have to fight back. We have to understand how this got started. We have to hold people accountable for how they acted. You've had a handful of people on our side saying that. You've had mostly people, even on the Republican side, willing to let this coup attempt to, to oust the duly elected president of the United States. I want to tell you, there was a, a over the weekend, I'm going to play a little segment in a moment here. Over the weekend, uh, there was a, uh, or I guess it was this last night, a Mark Levin show. Um, he had an interview with two individuals, Sarah Carter and John Solomon. Part of what ha- the lesson from this coup has got to be that the media in this country take actual accountability for how it is they got so sucked in to this hoax of a lie of the Russia collusion thing, this sabotaging of the president of the United States. How did virtually every member of the mainstream media get sucked in? Why did none of them do the quality investigative reporting that John Solomon and Sarah Carter did? These two, from the beginning, Instead of just getting their news off of Twitter and repeating it in news stories, they actually investigated. They actually interviewed people. They actually followed up and said and got off their duff, out of their offices, out on the street, found the people to talk to, interviewed them, investigated, asked for proof, asked for documents. They were the ones that kept reporting what was really happening, that this whole thing was a hoax. They interviewed a Mark Levin. We're talking about what it's going to take to get the, the reputation of America's media back and also what reporting really does mean, what it means to be an investigative reporter, to be a truthful reporter. And the last thing, what I want you to listen for in this clip we're about to play with John Solomon is what John Solomon had to say about how he knew he was on the right track about people who showed up outside his house in the dark of the night in the middle of 2017, people working for the Department of Justice telling him there's a huge scandal here. You're on the right track. Keep investigating. Check out John Solomon, Sarah Carter. I think uh, the industry has to have a moment of introspection after what's happened here and not some faux introspection where we beat our chest for a couple of days and move on. I think we have to look at how do we practice journalism in the 21st century where we have Twitter and Facebook and all these outlets to say things. I think one of the great signs that I saw coming of an industry that was straying so far from neutrality was when Twitter started. And you would see these reporters make these extraordinary expressions of opinion. I would have been fired at the Associated Press if I ever said any of those things 20 years ago. And it just opened up a, a bottle of champagne. A cork popped out. And all of a sudden, journalists felt they could just say whatever they wanted. And um, I learned when I came in, no one cared about my opinion. They want to hear about the facts you, can, you have in your notebook. I think we strayed so far from that. We've got to go back and look, how did that happen and how do we try to resolve what we've done to the industry. We've lost a lot of our credibility. You don't write a story from behind a desk. 
you go there, you interview the people, you look at them in the face, you ask for documents, you find what their motive is. Do they have a motive for telling you this? What is that motive? Sometimes the motive may be selfish. It may still be the truth, but we need to know what the motive is. That's what we always did. I saw it changing. I saw it shifting. So many journalists in a lot of different newsrooms that I worked in uh, would never leave their desk. They always wanted to have friends, especially in Washington, D.C. There was a big bubble here where people felt that, you know, it was better to be friends with the administration, especially under Obama, President Obama. People really wanted to be friends with the administration, go to their parties, go to their dinners. It became very difficult for them to tell the truth, to tell the stories, to hold these officials accountable. And I think that's what we've seen. Is this how they... Okay, this was uh, those two people. In fact, I had the chance to meet Sarah Carter at a um, at, at a meeting last year. She is she is the most humble, not publicity seeking, not attention seeking. It was a big room filled with really active political people, and she was very honestly kind of nonchalantly standing to the side. Not and, and she is a rock star journalist because she and John Solomon instead of as she says sitting at their desk reading a Twitter feed and kind of blathering out some talking points she investigated and they're the ones that kept saying that there was a true deep problem um, on the um, uh, on the American left on the within the media I want to play also we didn't get to the part about John Solomon I want to play John Solomon's little clip too what happened to him outside his home by his mailbox. Here's John Solomon's last little piece from uh, the Mark Levin show. Oh, I'll tell you a story about a mailbox, uh, which occurred at my home. It's, it's, it's seminal to the, to the Russia story. Sarah and I had just begun mm-hmm. working on what we called the NSA abuse stories at, yeah, the at where we were working. And unmasking it. We had just gone on television on Sean's show, Sean Hannity's show that night. We talked about this sudden rise in unmaskings. And I came, I drove home, I got to my mailbox, pulled in my car, there was a blue sedan sitting outside the mailbox. And there were two gentlemen, clearly intelligence officers, somewhere from the government. They never identified their names. And they stepped out and said, are you Mr. Solomon? I said, yes. I said, we just saw you on Sean Hannity's show. We wanted to talk to you for a second. We can't tell you much because most of what we know is classified. But we will tell you this. If you keep digging, you will find out that the United States intelligence community was used for a political opposition research project. And we are deeply concerned. And I said, well, why are you concerned? We need these tools, things like FISA and the NSA, to capture bad guys. And if we misuse it for political dirty tricks, we won't have those tools when the next terrorist attack or the next spy shows up in town. We need you to go find out what happened. And that's all they told me. It was about 11.30 by the time mm-hmm. we finished the conversation. I ran in. I wrote this long email of everything I could remember. I sent it to Sarah. Hits the box about 2 o'clock in the morning. She's still <laughs> up. She responds right back. But that's how we got started into really understanding this was much bigger than just an unmasking scandal. It was, it was huge. How long ago was this? Oh, was that 2017? March of 2017. Okay, March of 2017. And this is, I, I love this story. People inside the FBI show up at John Solomon's house in the middle of night, March of 2017, to say, you're on the right track. What you're writing about is what happened. 
despite all the denials by the mainstream media and all the denials by prominent Democrats and all the outrage expressed by elected Democrat officials, you're right, John Solomon. You're on the right track. And they, John Solomon, Sarah Carter, pushed and pushed and pushed to be sure this story got out there. They investigated and reported the truth. So I think these takeaways from what, you know, the Mueller thing, uh, because this, this cannot be the end of our country's digesting of what happened in the under the Mueller investigation, digesting what happened inside the Department of Justice. In fact, on the Department of Justice stuff, I want to mention two other things. Um, one is that, you know, Mueller got started and there were all the things we talked about many times, the, you know, the use of a campaign smear piece created by Fusion GPS as the basis for a fight, the issue, issuance of a FISA warrant to start spying on people and then, of course, spying on whoever those people are talking to with the end game being, of course, that the, um, the entire Trump team was being spied on by our own government at the behest of the FBI. Uh, it appears grotesquely uh, dishonest presentation to the FISA court of what evidence they had to justify the issuance of the warrants. I mean, we, we just had serious, serial, it was like it was a rolling coup for over two years. A rolling, ongoing coup attempt to take down a sitting president. And it cannot be simply, and I have to tell you, I was thinking about this on the way over here in the car today. You know, you read about other countries, you know, we live here, we read about things, other countries and, you know, how there was wrongdoing and there was uh, favoritism or a scandal inside the government or a failure to follow the law or an uh, elites who are treated as though, oh, you know, they, they can't be prosecuted. Everyone knows in these corrupt countries, they don't really prosecute wrongdoers because they're part of the ruling cabal. So nothing happens to them. And we think, well, gee, we're better than that in America because we have the rule of law. We don't have a ruling elite class. We have the rule of law and everyone's subject to it. But if we don't get to the bottom of how it got started, who was involved, what laws were broken, and for those individuals who broke laws, investigation, indictment, you know, arrest, indictment, prosecution, conviction, jail. If we don't do that, if we take the politically correct Karl Rove road and say, well, you know, let's just all prove how mature we are and prove how, you know, we're, we're politically savvy and we've done the calculus and, and the, you know, the moderate voters won't like this or we've done the calculus and people won't like to see, you know, former prominent officials in our government arrested. If we think that the scandal is too much, too much to cringe about, too worrisome, too embarrassing, we are therefore capitulating to losing the precious, unique, extraordinary country we have. We're agreeing it's okay for us to be much more like a banana republic, much more like a communist dictatorship, much more like a, like a government where we have a ruling elite who's never responsible. And this is part of what Karl Rove is all about. And I don't mean just to pick on him because he's representative of an ilk in the Republican Party who just have torpedoed our party and done very harmful things to this country. Karl Rove and his ilk are part of it. He actually likes to hang out, hang out at ruling elite parties and be invited to special events where he's just as cool as Hillary Clinton and her friends. 
and the whole ruling elite in Washington swamp bubble wants to stay in power. The idea that he, Rove, would ever have supported or would be in any way signaling to Trump that he supports him going after this ruling elite, the ruling elite. Rove doesn't want that on his, on his reputation, doesn't want that on his watch. I want to tell you some, uh, go back to the Trump rally. So this is a, um, you know, I'm going to tell you two more things uh, about this story for today. Uh, one is I'm going to go back to the Trump rally in a moment because he calls for people to be held accountable. The audience, the crowd loved it. In fact, let me play that clip now. So Trump did this speech in Grand, in Grand Rapids. This is the, uh, the second little clip of his um, I, I, that we're going to show you in a moment here. He said that people have to be accountable. This is his quick clip on that, and then I'll tell you something about that. Do we, do we have that? Yeah, we do. Okay. All of the Democrat politicians, the media bosses, bad people. The crooked journalists, the totally dishonest TV pundits, and by the way, they know it's not true. They just got great ratings. By the way, their ratings dropped through the floor last night. Did you say that? And our friends, Tucker, Sean, Laura, through the roof last night. And all of the current and former officials who paid for, promoted, and perpetuated the single greatest hoax in the history of politics in our country. They have to be, I'm sorry, they have to be accountable. Just think of it, a fake, dirty dossier, millions and millions of dollars paid for it. By who? Crooked Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and the Democrat Party. Think of it. This is what they use. Okay, obviously this is a Trump-friendly friendly crowd. But I'll tell you something really, really cool about that crowd. You know, uh, Donald Trump has, in fact, I think it's a guy who's going to be his campaign manager in 2020, Brad, I don't know if you say Parscale or Parscale, but anyway, Brad Parscale, the guy who's going to run Trump's campaign in 2020. When people buy tickets, they get tickets to go to this Trump rally, as all those people did. And again, like all of his rallies during his campaigns, packed to the rafters, thousands outside who couldn't get in. They are required when they get a ticket to give the campaign their cell phone numbers. As part of your registration, give them your cell phone number. They, Parscale and his team, use the cell phone numbers to then check on those people's voting records to figure out if they vote in Democrat or primary, Democrat or Republican primaries, or are they registered Democrats or Republicans? That audience there that Trump is talking to, just this past Friday, I think it was, I'm not sure what day that was, Thursday or Friday, that crowd was 34% Democrat. Trump's, you know, he's just not a, a typical traditional GOP candidate, clearly. Not a typical GOP traditional president. He is really a stand up for America president. He is drawing Democrats to his rallies. 
Also, there was polling after the Mueller report came out, like 68% of Americans said of likely voters that the, that the Democrats in Congress need to accept the Mueller report that there was no Trump-Russia collusion and move on. So Trump's got the wind in his back at this point. He is, you know, the people are with him. They realize that he has been, his presidency has been marred by a complete lie. And they also realize that he's really taking the country in great directions on many, many, many issues, many levels, whether it's border security and uh, making the military strong again and cutting taxes and bringing jobs back. He had a big spiel in the speech about all the jobs he's brought back. The point is, Trump is making a lot of Americans really happy. And again, the idea that Trump is going to be hurt by demanding that justice be done, investigations be completed, is just wrong. In fact, part of what the the Karl Rove mindset, I started on this path a moment ago and I didn't finish my thought. Part of what the Karl Rove mindset is, is the same mindset that has cost Republicans elections in the past. If you ask Republican voters, especially conservatives, why didn't you vote? Why didn't you turn out? They say Republicans never stand up. They never fight. They never fight for what they should. They never fight for what they promise they'll fight for. Well, this is Karl Rove showing what those voters are talking about. This is Karl Rove, a pr- probably among the, if you had to name the top 10 consultants on the Republican side in the country, he'd be on anybody's list. And his worldview is take the safe route. Don't say things that might upset people. Certainly do not rock the, rock the boat if it may end up with indictments of high-level Democrats in this country. Can't do that. Take the safe route. Move forward. Talk issues. Now, Trump is going to talk issues. and He's going to do issues. Trump is just a doer. He's not a, you know, he, he's a doer. He's a move things forward kind of guy. But I'm just telling you, folks, I think that this is a great opportunity for Trump to really help the American public see not just how deeply wrong this hoax against him was, not how, not how deeply rooted the opposition to him was, but really what the swamp is like, what the, what the ruling elite class in Washington is like. They thought within that cabal that per- perpetrated this, this coup attempt, they thought they had the right to use whatever powers they had available to them, legal or not, to put in place the president they wanted to take out the president they didn't want. They had no respect for the idea that we actually still are a country with a rule of law and the idea that we, the people, choose our leaders. The arrogance is breathtaking. Trump is right to expose it. And the last reason Trump is right to push for full investigation. And he mentioned this uh, in his speech too, but he said people were hurt. I'm telling you folks, you know, we, we know the few people who actually got arrested, the few Americans who actually got arrested. We know the Paul Manafort story and Roger Stone, we know them many times, but you know, there are other, there, and, and most of them, when you hear people say, oh my gosh, but there were like, you know, dozens of indictments. They're almost all Russians who had no connection with the Trump campaign who did come here to America, engage in things apparently illegal, illegally, attempting to undo the Trump campaign, 
but had nothing to do, excuse me, undo the Hillary campaign, but had nothing to do with the Trump campaign. So the Russians are not part of Trump-Russia collusion. They were just, you know, they just showed up in America and did bad things, and they'll never be indicted. I mean, they've been indicted. They'll never be prosecuted. They won't be arrested because they live in Russia. It's a small handful of people connected with Trump who actually got prosecuted and None of them, the things they were prosecuted for, had anything to do with Trump-Russia collusion. But it doesn't mean that lives were not hurt and lives were not destroyed. We've been, uh, several times in the show, I've talked through Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, still still doesn't know what his future holds. Still, I mean, caught up in the Mueller perjury trap, still not able to know whether he's going to be have to serve jail time. He's lost his house. He's lost it. I mean, he has been put to financial and personal ruin. A noble warrior patriot guy is one of the victims of this coup attempt, this sabotage Trump attempt. There's this hoax that the, that the left pulled off. But other people you haven't even heard of or not much about, and I want to mention one. If you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, you can read his story. But Michael Caputo, C-A-P-U-T-O, you know, he was just a, he's a Trump guy. I mean, he's a longtime Republican consultant. He wrote a piece, and actually Politico of all places printed it, but he wrote about what happened to him. Did nothing wrong, to be clear, nothing. What happened to him, being questioned, being harassed, forced to, as he says, bank accounts drained, death threats. He has, he had one guy recently, uh, he finally brought about this guy being arrested who was threatening him. This was the 58th. 58 threat of violence against him all because the media runs stories against a guy who did nothing wrong and his article if you go read it on our website or uh, this is again michael caputo you'll see there were dozens of people deeply harmed by the Mueller fraud by the russia trump hoax by the effort to sabotage the election and sabotage the president of the united states People, we have to stand up. We have to demand investigations and justice. And the last piece I'm going to turn to today concerns this movie, um, Changing Subject Entirely. There is a new movie out that was out just this past week called Unplanned. Unplanned, the movie, is essentially, it's a movie which is a true story about a young girl's life, a young woman um, who actually went to college here in Texas at A&M and out of college began working for Planned Parenthood and uh, moved up in the ranks of Planned Parenthood. She became the youngest uh, director of a Planned Parenthood clinic. So it's a, a true life story of her and her uh, her path, her um, journey toward uh, finally realizing that she really wanted to protect life. She really wanted to, she, she didn't want to be part of the abortion uh, industry. And I have to tell you that this movie is, I, I went to see it on Friday night. I cannot urge you strongly enough, and I don't even know if it's in theaters right now, but it might be, but a couple things about Unplanned. Number one, it's really well done. Number two, it's a true story. It's a story of a young girl lured in from uh, college with all the typical left-wing arguments about, you know, we're just trying to provide choices, we're trying to protect women's health, who finally had the reality hit her 
when she was actually asked to go in after becoming a clinic director, actually asked to go in and participate in, in one of the abortion procedures and recognizing what actually happens. It's a little bit graphic. Okay, it's graphic, but it's not gratuitous, endless graphic presentation, but it gives you enough of a picture to understand what abortion really is all about. And I have to tell you that I see, I hear people say, you know, okay, but the sides are pretty entrenched. You have the pro-lifers and they believe in life. You have the pro-choicers, they believe in, in the right to abortion. And you know, people aren't gonna change their minds. So why make movies like this? Why do this? Why stir up, you can't convince people, but actually have some fabulous data to share with you because you actually can convince people. People do change, hearts and minds are changed. There was a, uh, at several, a bit of polling done by Marist, Marist polling relating to um, people's views on abortion. And right after the uh, news was making the headlines back east where several governors had come to the, uh, had uh, brought forth, in fact, in New York State it passed, Governor Cuomo in New York it passed, and in Virginia at the last minute the bill got uh, tubed, but it was they were bills authorizing the post birth killing of babies who managed to survive abortions. I mean, babies born alive, as, as my friend said, you're sitting there looking at a baby and the, the uh, statements and, and, and in media interviews, unapologetic by representatives of their state legislatures, by the governors of essentially, yeah, if a baby survives abortion, we're going to pass a law to be sure that the uh, abortion doctor knows it's still legal to kill the baby. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I think that this movie, I, I can't urge you, I really urge you to see it. And even if you are maybe a little bit more sympathetic to the pro-choice side, which some, you know, a lot of people have wide range of views in these things, just to know what the facts are, just to understand what abortion really is. That So there isn't this notion, it is just a cluster of cells. It is, uh, it's very, it's very moving. It's a very, very good movie. I'll tell you something else that really um, struck me uh, about this movie. I, I read about read this story later, and that had to do with um, the uh, a, a commentary, a bunch of interviews done with people who moved to America from communist China. And one woman in particular wrote out her story, and her name is Saga Zhao, Z-H-O-U. She came from China in 2009. One of the most poignant things she talked about was how in communist China, when they got so determined, this one child per family law, that, they, that China then began forcing women to have abortions. If they married women who had one child, you've had another one on the way, you're forcing abortions, forcing late-term abortions, even over the protests of the family, the mother, everyone, forcing abortions in the, in the, in the millions. And what she was talking about, this woman talking about watching today's Democrat Party and their strident advocacy for abortion at any stage or even after birth, She's saying, this is too scary. This is too much like co the communists. The communists work so hard to cause people to simply devalue human life. Their point of the government was to insist that people do not attach value to life. And she's saying, 
the Democrat Party in America is becoming way too much like the Communist Party in China. Again, her article, the article about her interview is at our website, americachemitalk.org. There is a true, true, um, just vital need for people in our country to take a fresh look at how radical the American left is in insisting on the fact that life in the womb, life just outside of the womb, simply has no value. It's really important. It's an eye-opening thing. So I urge you to see Unplanned, read this article, and uh, and then I just, I'm so grateful that people are still out there doing things like this, making movies like Unplanned, continuing the American conversation, because some stats I'll share with you in a moment, thought is shifting on this topic. And now for the final thing I love to do, as I always say, at the end of the show, we do a quick uh Hit, hit the points that matter, you know, the why it matters to you um, from this show. And I hope you will uh, take these to heart, remember them, what the show is about. But um, on the very first one, why this, um, you know, what matters to you, uh, why this matters to you, why Trump should talk about the Mueller report, and why it matters to you. One of the main investigators is approached in the middle of the night. People inside the Department of Justice know this is wrong. Trump is, Carl Rove is out of touch with reality. Trump is on track. Even in the DOJ, people knew this was wrong. Solomon was approached by DOJ people urging investigation. Number two, 34% of that Grand Rapids rally were Democrats. Trump's pro-America message is working. What he is doing in demanding an investigation to what happened inside the DOJ is standing up for America. America does know and they deserve to know what the truth is. This truly is the biggest scandal in American history. Next slide. What about the Russian hoax? When did it start? I didn't get into the detail I meant to today, or I would have liked to today, but in April 2017, the head judge of the FISA court issued a ruling, Rosemary Collier issued a lengthy opinion, and blistering opinion of the parts you could even read about the misuse of the FISA, of the NSA database, the FISA court warrant process. She was blistering in her condemnation of the conduct. The names of the groups that were given access to the NSA database that weren't supposed to have it are names tied to the American left. We need to demand, like, like, like Fusion GPS, like CrowdStrike, those groups. So I'm telling you, we can take steps and do a lot to under, uncover when the Russia hoax started. Because and the reason the left does not want this to happen is because if you realize that all of this Russia-Trump collusion was actually just an extension of an ongoing coup attempt, an ongoing abuse of power by the DOJ from 2015, it changes everything. We need to get them to release a fraudulent misuse of NSA database, release all the, uh, you know, if you can do a full screen if you can, release all the struck page text messages, declassify the entire Carter page. FISA court, last thing for today, the unplanned movie. I cannot urge you strongly enough. See it, think about it, share it with your friends. The Communist Party mindset is just like that, the Democrats trying to convince you that life doesn't matter. Why would any party push devaluing life? You tell me a good reason. Conversation and truth does change thinking. Here's one quick poll, Ameris poll, Americans under 45. Now, today, here as we sit, April 1st, 
47% pro-life, 48% pro-choice, half and half. Just January of this year, just three months ago, four months ago, 28% pro-life, 65% pro-choice. So even younger Americans are coming around to realizing life matters. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Come back every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. America, can we talk truth about America?